Hey, thanks for checking out this sermon. Our team worked hard to put this sermon together with you in mind, and we hope it helps you take your next step with Jesus. Enjoy. Five weekends ago, we began this sermon series founded on the idea that each and every single one of us were designed for a life of significance, a life of purpose, that you were created by God to do something eternal, something that matters, something that lasts, or as we've been framing it for this series, that you were made for more. In week one, we took a look at the life of Abraham, and we learned that God created humanity so that he could be a blessing to us and we could be a blessing to others. In week two, we studied the life of Esther and learned that our purpose comes not when we answer the question, uh, what am I here for? But instead answer the question, who am I here for? In week three, Pastor Steve Matson unpacked uh, our purpose as Cornerstone Fellowship, a church in the East Bay of California, as we head into 2020, we are all about loving God, loving others, making disciples. That's our purpose. And then last weekend, we had the opportunity to look at what that purpose looks like specifically on each of our campuses, in Brentwood, in, in Hayward, in Danville, in Livermore, in Walnut Creek. We started this series with a sort of 30,000 feet perspective, and each weekend we've kind of narrowed the focus down a little bit more and more. And today, I want to close the series by sort of landing the plane. I want to get extremely practical. Because as exciting as God's purpose and, and for our lives and talking about that can be, if I'm honest, it's also really stressful. It can be intimidating. It can be an overwhelming thing to, to try and think about, especially if we feel like everyone else already knows what they're supposed to be doing, but man, I still have no clue. It can be stressful and overwhelming, especially if we feel like, man, life is already so busy. It's already so full. Like, when in the world am I even going to find time to sit down and think about, ponder my life's purpose? I mean, just this week, I, I, I was in Southern California visiting family for Thanksgiving, and my son had a stomach virus all week long. I'm literally trying to finish this sermon on purpose in the midst of changing bedsheets and PJs and diapers and mopping floors and spot-cleaning carpets. It was fantastic, you guys. Little children, they are great. But, you know, I'm sure there are many of you who you feel this, this tension, too, between purpose and, and it's, it's, it's exciting, but it's also stressful. And although we may agree with it, this idea that, that we've painted for this series, that, that we are made for more, we might hear that and say, yeah, I agree with that. But what does that actually mean for me? Like, that sounds good. 
So what does that mean? I mean, I know we're all called to love God, to love others, make disciples, but the reality is how that practically plays out in, in each and every single one of our lives, it looks completely different from one person to the next. So this is why it's important for each of us uh, to answer this question today. What is the more that God has for me? Like, what, what's the more that God has for me, for Becky? What's the more that God has for you, specifically? My hope by the end of this sermon is that you will have some tools to begin to discover what your more is, to identify what the specific purpose could be for your life. And to help us do that, I want to take a look at the life of a teenager that we learn about in Scripture. His name is Joseph. If you have a Bible with you, you'll find Joseph's story in the book of Genesis. It actually, his story spans 14 chapters. Joseph is the one person who's talked about most in the book of Genesis, more than Adam, more than Noah, more than Abraham or Jacob. And so there's a lot we can learn from Joseph's story here. I want to encourage you, spend 30 minutes sometime this week reading through it on your own, because we're not going to have time to go through all 14 chapters today. Instead, I'm going to give you like the Cliff Notes version of his life in five minutes, okay? You ready? All right, here we go. Joseph was just 17. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to go through that fast. Joseph was 17 when we're first introduced to him in Genesis 37. He is the 11th son of his father, Jacob. And you know how in every family... The kids will, like, tease the parents about, like, having a favorite child, you know? And the parents, every parent, it doesn't matter. You respond the same way, right? No, we don't have favorites. We love all of our children equally, blah, 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 right? Just my family? Okay, that's just my family. But that was not the case here. Jacob unashamedly favored Joseph over all of his other brothers, and it ticked his brothers off big time. So much so that they conspire a plan to kill Joseph, right? Kill. Yeah, you thought your family dynamics were bad. But when push comes to shove, they couldn't go through with it. And so instead, they have the grand plan of selling their baby brother to traveling merchants for what would have been the equivalent of $200 today, (laughs) right? Yeah, talk about a burn. Like, you're worth worth less than the boots that I wear. Um, Joseph is then taken to Egypt, and he's purchased as a slave from an uh, an Egyptian official named Potiphar. And right away, even though he has had everything, everyone he's ever known, he's ever loved, ripped away from him, we see Joseph begin to work hard. And it's not long before Potiphar actually puts him in charge of his entire household, of everything that he owns. You can actually read that, and it says the only thing Potiphar worried about was what food he was going to eat because Joseph handled everything else in his life. I mean, talk about making great use of a horrible situation. Time goes on, and Potiphar's wife begins to notice how strong, how attractive this young 20-year-old Joseph is, and so she tries to seduce him to sleep with her. But Joseph, he refuses. He doesn't want to disrespect his master. He doesn't want to sin against God. And, and, and so when Potiphar's wife realizes that she isn't going to get what she wants from Joseph, she flips the script. And she falsely accuses Joseph of coming on to her. And so just when you think things couldn't get any worse for Joseph, right? He's already been betrayed and rejected by his family, sold into slavery. 
But now he is removed from his position in Potiphar's house and he is thrown in prison for something that he did not do, a crime he didn't commit. But once again, we see Joseph begin to work hard to be diligent with what he's being asked to do. And it wasn't long before the, the warden of the jail puts Joseph in charge of all of the other prisoners and all of the day-to-day responsibilities of the prison. I mean, think about how crazy that is. He is he's a prisoner, right? He's not like a staff person. No, he's prisoner, yet he's put in charge of running the prison. And while Joseph is in prison, he begins interpreting dreams for some of the other prisoners including a guy who later gets released and ends up working for Pharaoh as his cupbearer. Now, the position of cupbearer, it's basically the guy who was responsible for drinking the king's wine before the cup was actually given to the king to ensure that it wasn't poisonous. Talk about a nice job, right? Should have better come with a good life insurance policy. And a couple years go by, And now Pharaoh is the one who has a dream, and no one is able to interpret it. None of his advisors, no one in his circles. But it's in this moment that his cupbearer remembers that Joseph interpreted his dream when he was in prison. And so he tells Pharaoh, hey, you need a dream interpreter? I know a guy. I know a guy. Doesn't everyone have that friend who, like, knows a guy for everything, right? You're like, hey, you need to re-drywall your garage? I know, dry- I know a drywall guy. Hey, you're looking for a turtle es- expert? Like, let's call Vinny. He- he'll know what to do. And then in Genesis 41, 13 years since Joseph was first sold into slavery by his family, he's now brought before Pharaoh, and he's told Pharaoh's dream, and God gives Joseph the ability to interpret it, resulting in Joseph not only being released from prison, but actually put in charge of all of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh himself. I mean, it's an unbelievable turn of events. Nine more years go by, and Joseph's interpretation of Pharaoh's dream is continuing to come true. Egypt and the whole surrounding areas are in a devastating famine. There's no food. But because of Joseph's wisdom and his leadership, Egypt is the only place that has food. And so people are coming from all over in order to buy grain from the Egyptians, including, dun, 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 Joseph's brothers. You guys are so good, man. And this is where things, this is where things get really juicy. In chapter 42, the brothers, they find themselves standing before Joseph, face to face with him. Except they don't realize that it's him. They just think it's some random Egyptian ruler. But Joseph, man, he recognizes his brothers right away. I mean, how, how could you not remember the faces of the people who literally sold you into slavery? And for four chapters, there's, there's all of this tension. There's all of this going back and forth. Uh, are, are, are the brothers going to realize that this is their long lost Joseph? Is Joseph finally going to take revenge on his family for betraying him all those years ago? Like, how is this story going to end? Spoiler alert. The story comes to a dramatic close with Joseph forgiving his brothers for selling him into slavery all those years ago. And he moves his entire family, his father, Jacob, all of his brothers, their families to Egypt to be with him. And he saves them along with the entire nation of Egypt from starvation and death. How's that for life purpose? I mean, here, God takes this seemingly insignificant Jewish boy and uses him to save the lives of not just his entire family, but an entire nation. 
It's miraculous. Talk about being made for more. And although it's true, there are so many aspects of Joseph's story. You'll read through it and you'll just see how things were, were divinely orchestrated. But I also believe that there were things Joseph did intentionally that allowed him to be able to live out this greater life of purpose. And so I want to spend the rest of our time together talking through three of these things that we see in Joseph's story that directly relates to his purpose. Because I believe these three things, they will help us when it comes to figuring out what our specific purpose is as well. It'll, it'll help us in answering that question, hey, what is the more that God has for me? Here's the first thing uh, we see in Joseph's story is it shows us that purpose is found through our passion. Purpose is found through our passion. What do I mean by passion? Passion, it's the stuff that you couldn't stop caring about it even if you tried. It's the stuff that you can't stop being good at. You can't stop thinking about it. You can't stop talking about it. You can't stop working on it. Even if no one pays you for it or no one even notices or no one even cares, like it just grabs you. Passion is what I feel when I am cleaning and organizing things. I'm not lying. I was that weird kid who organized their room for fun. My mom's like, go to your room. And I'm like, yes, thank you. All right. I ran my own house cleaning business in high school. I'm being I'm completely serious. I love it. Passion is also how I feel when I study something new in scripture. When I'm spending time with my family. When I'm working with or leading a team. Passion's what I feel when I'm teaching for God, from God's word. Or I have the opportunity to intentionally connect with someone and help them grow in some way. When we look at Joseph's story, it's clear to see that one of his passions was organizational leadership. I mean, everyone around him, everywhere he went, like people recognized that he just instinctively knew how to run things. I mean, even when he's in prison, everyone's like, you know what, this guy, we need to put him in charge. Like he's just too good at this. And Joseph, he couldn't help it either. Think about it. It's not like he got like prison bonuses for running the thing. No, like he's still in prison, but it's just in him. He can't help it. He's like, okay, yeah, here's what needs to be done. Here's how we're going to do things. Now, running a process, getting things organized, uh, keeping everyone on the same page, that doesn't seem super religious, right? And I think sometimes it's so, it's so easy to overlook those things that we think aren't super religious. Like, God couldn't actually use that. But man, this purpose, this, this passion stuff, it's not just, I have a passion for memorizing scripture. Like, that's great, memorizing scripture, but it doesn't just have to be that. Sometimes, you just know how to get stuff done. Sometimes you just love organizing the things around you. And a lot of us have skills like that. And God has planted this passion in Joseph's heart and used it to unlock his purpose. It's like my friend Sarah, who has a passion for knitting. And so she uses that passion to make hats and blankets for NICU babies and cancer patients. It's like my friend Steve, who attends Cornerstone here, and he has a passion for fitness. Just to be clear, I'm not talking about Steve Ingold, okay? <laughs> Why did you laugh so much? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> this Steve, he's like, he's like a walking billboard for the gym. Like literally his biceps are bigger than my head and I have an abnormally large head for a woman, okay? He's awesome. But he's not just passionate about his own fitness, he's passionate about the physical state of everyone around him. 
I mean, he reads in God's word just how important our physical bodies are to God. He, he reads that our bodies are a temple, that we actually have the, the Holy Spirit of God living within us. And so, and so he, uses, he used that passion to start a fitness ministry here at Cornerstone. He, he finds joy, he finds excitement in helping other people grow spiritually as they learn how to take care of themselves physically. He, he, he's so passionate and sees how the two go closely hand in hand. If you're searching for your purpose, start by identifying your passions. And if you aren't sure, here are some questions that can help you begin to figure that out. Ask yourself things like, what have I always loved doing? What, what gets me up in the morning? What, what gets my blood pumping? What, what brings me joy? And by the way, I'm gonna give you a couple of lists like this, list of questions throughout the sermon. I, I want you to be sure, write them down, pull out your phone, take a picture of the slide, whatever's the easiest for you, because these are questions you're gonna wanna reflect on throughout the week. But the reality is passion, it's not simply a happy emotion, right? No, passion can also display itself when we ask ourselves questions like these. What breaks my heart? What, what keeps me up at night? What gets my blood boiling? What makes me angry? And I'm not talking like pet peeve angry, like, oh, I hate when people chew with their mouth open. Like, no, I'm talking about what stirs up like a righteous anger in you. When you look at some injustice, perhaps to a group of people or, or a need in this world, and you think that's not right. Someone needs to do something about that. Maybe for you, your, your passion involves the plight of hurting children, kids who can't read or, or kids who are being bullied or, or kids that have special needs. Maybe for you, your passion involves those who are bound by addiction. Your heart just breaks for them. They're hostage to drugs. They're, they're trapped in the lustful world of pornography, and you'll do anything you can to help them experience freedom. Maybe for you, it's homelessness. You see people who are stuck in life, they barely have their basic needs met, and you're like, I have to do something about that. Maybe for you, your heart breaks for people who are lonely and they don't have a place to spend the holidays. They're isolated, and so you just, you invite them in, you invite them over, you invite them into your home and your family. The reality is passion is often the catalyst that will catapult you out of passive concern and into action. So what are your passions? Can you actually name them? Because when we can identify and name the things that, that we are passionate about, it can provide us with direction for living out God's greater purpose in our life. Purpose is found through our passion. Here's the second thing Joseph's story teaches us is that purpose is also found through our pain. Purpose is found through our pain. Joseph experienced a lot of pain in his life. An extraordinary amount. But perhaps none more severe, none, none more scarring than, than being betrayed and rejected, being sold into slavery by his own family. 
I mean, it's easy to, to read through his story quickly, to, to hear the five-minute recap and completely overlook the toll that this would have had on his soul. The toll that this would have had on his, on his self-worth, on his self-image, on his confidence. The rejection, the brokenness, feeling hopeless and all alone year after year after year. I mean, the dude was sold for $200. His family literally put a price on his value. He was worth $20 to each brother. Because that sucks. And it was over two decades from the time he was sold into slavery before he was actually reunited with his brothers and those, those relationships, those bonds were repaired and restored. I'm talking 22 years. I mean, there were, had to be countless times when Joseph just cried out asking God to rescue him from his troubles, to take the pain away. But year after year after year after year, like the pain is still there. God didn't take it away. God didn't prevent this from happening. But God did give Joseph's pain a purpose. Right, we know Joseph's full story. We, we can look back in hindsight and see that the very thing that caused him the most pain in his life was actually the thing that led to him being in the position all those years later to save his entire family and all of Egypt as well. And talk about redemption. And in Genesis chapter 50, at the very end of the story, Joseph acknowledges the truth that God can bring purpose to your, his pain by saying this to his brothers. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Church, God does not promise that we will never experience pain in this life. In fact, it's the opposite. Jesus says, in this life, you will have trouble. In this life, you will experience pain. But one thing God does promise us is that our pain never has to be without a purpose. No matter how deep the pain, no matter how great the wound, how, how grave the situation, God has a beautiful way of taking what was intended for harm and transforming it into good. I mean, this is the story of the cross, is it not? The cross is the greatest symbol of pain and suffering, but through it came the greatest purpose that we've ever seen in the history of the world, saving and restoring humanity through Jesus Christ. This repurposing of pain, it's what God is all about. It's actually what redemption is all about. Pastor and author Timothy Keller, he says this about pain and suffering. Suffering is at the very heart of the Christian faith. It's not only the way Christ became like us and redeemed us, but it is one of the main ways we become like him and experience his redemption. And that means that our suffering, despite its painfulness, is also filled with purpose and usefulness. There can be a purpose to your pain. 
David Doyle, he's a guy I've gotten to know uh, better over this last year. He attends here at Cornerstone, and he's the president of a nonprofit called Missing Man Ministry that started out of a Cornerstone men's community group, and, and they just meet the practical needs of women who have lost their husbands, children who have lost their dads. They care for these families in very tangible, practical ways during the darkest days of their life. And I, I love getting to hear David talk about this ministry because he is unapologetic. He is just straightforward in telling you why you should be involved, why you should give your money to it, and, and just how important this ministry is. And he does that not because he's the president of Missing Man Ministry, but because he himself understands firsthand what these families are walking through. David lost his dad when he was 15 years old. His wife, Anita, lost her dad when she was 11. He saw firsthand the pain of his mom having to raise kids all on her own, of, of, of going through his life without his father present, of, of graduating high school and college and getting married and having kids of his own and not having his dad there for any of those significant moments and even the little insignificant moments. And when David was talking to me about it, he said, man, I was so mad at God. I was so mad at God. He said, the only good thing about the situation was that it gave me an excuse not to go to church. But you know what? Now it's, it's over four decades later. And it's not like that, that pain is gone. He still carries that with him. He would still much rather have his dad here. But man, when you hear him talk about how God is using that pain in his life, he, he starts to tear up. You can't help but tear up when you hear him talk about he never would have ever imagined that God could use him for something like this. Where he actually gets to walk alongside families who are experiencing the same pain, the same heartbreak that he has faced, but now he gets to be a part of bringing hope to them, of bringing healing to them. God can bring purpose to our pain. Here's some questions that we can ask ourselves. What painful experiences in my life might God want to use? What might, what might my past have prepared me to do that I couldn't or I wouldn't do otherwise? A few years back, we did a series here, uh, I think in the fall of 2017, called Playing with Fire where we talked through things that can destroy our lives, that can destroy our families. And on the last weekend of that series, my husband Garrett and I, we got up here on the stage and, and shared our story when it comes to pornography and how that almost destroyed our marriage earlier on. And as painful as that season of our life was, the ways that God has been able to restore it and to redeem it and to heal it not only that, but to help, to, to use our story to help others find freedom as well. Like, it's, it's been incredible. Nothing short of a miracle. And I still regularly, to this day, I will receive an email or a phone call from a woman who says, hey, I remember when you and your husband shared your story. My husband and I were walking through the same thing, and I don't know what to do. These women, they feel angry. They feel betrayed and hurt and rejected, and I just get to sit with them and listen. 
I get to talk to them. I get to encourage them. I get to pray for them. And I've seen God do miracles in their life. And I never would have had that opportunity had I not walked through that same pain myself. And now as I look back on things, I can, I can genuinely say that I am grateful for that pain. I mean, it, it matured my faith in a way that nothing else had. It, it, it brought me closer to God in a way that nothing else could. It strengthened my marriage. It produced in me a realness that allows me to relate to people in a way that my passions never could. Our pain, our pain takes things to places our passions never could. It's, it's, it's not our passion, but our pain that allows us to be able to look someone else in the eye and say, I get it. I've been there too. It's our pain, not our passion, that provides us with the empathy to be able to care for someone in the midst of their darkest days and speak truth and hope and healing into their life. Church, I want to encourage you to allow God to give you eyes to see the purpose in your pain. Because when we see it, you'll find your pain pointing the way towards God's plan for your life. It happens time and time again. Now, I realize there are some of you listening today and a message about finding purpose in your pain is not what you need to hear today. I mean, you are in the midst of the pain right now. Purpose is not what you need. Healing is. And if that's you, I want you to know that you are not alone. One of my favorite scriptures, Psalms 34, says that God is near to the brokenhearted. My, my hope, my prayer for you is that you would so strongly feel God's presence in your life in the midst of the pain that you are walking through. But my prayer is also that you would know that we are here for you too. A couple weeks ago, I, I sat down and met with a young woman, and she was sharing with me what's been going on in her life in the last three years. Relationships that have been broken. Dreams that have been lost. She's been experiencing deep pain and depression and hopelessness, and she looked at me and she said, you're the first person I've ever talked to about any of this. I mean, I heard, I heard her say that, and it just broke my heart. because she's been walking through the darkest days of her life for three entire years, and, and she felt like her only option was to walk through it alone. But man, that is such a lie. Don't let your pain push you into isolation. One of the most courageous things that you could do is to look someone else in the eye and say, hey, I'm hurting and I need help. And if you don't feel like you have anyone in your life who you can say that to, Come say it to me. Talk to someone on our care team. Stop by our Connect Center and just say, hey, I need to talk with the pastor. Healing, it can begin when we resolve that we don't have to walk through our pain alone. In Joseph's story, he found purpose 
through his passion, through his pain. Here's the third thing. He found purpose through his proximity. I mean, it didn't matter where Joseph was, what obstacle he was facing. He intentionally impacted the lives around him. Whether he was a slave, a prisoner, the second in command in all of Egypt, in all of Egypt he, he found purpose in serving those in his close proximity, and God used him mightily as a result. I have a friend who finds friends everywhere she goes. Not because she's like running into people she knows, but, but because she lives her life with an acute awareness of the needs of every single person around her. It's incredible. Maybe you know someone like that too. It, it, it is, she's constantly sharing stories that start off with something like, you know, I was at the grocery store yesterday and I, and I met this lady who just lost her job. Or, uh, you know, I was talking to my barista this week about a difficulty he's walking through with his, with his family. Or I, I was praying for my coworker the other day whose dad's in the hospital. And she's not sharing these stories out of pride. No, she's just sharing these experiences where she's been able to encourage someone to pray for them, to help them out in some way because she finds purpose in being the hands and the feet of Jesus to everyone around her each and every single day. She just asks God, hey God, give me purpose in this day. Give me purpose as I head into this situation. And he does it. Here's the last slide of questions we can ask ourselves when it comes to proximity, who has God given me influence with? Who has God given me access to? Are there people in my life who share my passion? Are there people in my life who, who are experiencing similar, similar pains that I've already walked through? You know, I think sometimes when it comes to purpose, we're tempted to think that if it's not big or grand or like global in impact, then it's, yeah, it's not really that important. It's not really purpose. But man, that is not true. For many of us, for the majority of us, our purpose will not be found in impacting people around the world. Our purpose will be found in impacting the people around our dinner table. Your purpose is found in impacting the people on your street, in your classroom, in your break room. Like the people in your close proximity, they are not there by accident. God has put you there for a reason. You may be the only Jesus that they ever encounter. And don't miss the purpose that God has for you today. In the lives of the people around you, are your eyes open to see it? I'll close with this. In John 10.10, Jesus says that he came so that we could have abundant life. He didn't promise us riches or health or power or even an easy life. But he did promise us purpose. He said, your life may not be easy, but it can matter. Your life, your life may not be rich, but you can live a full life life. You were made for more, and the more that God has for you, it's found through your passion, your pain, and your proximity. And if you're someone who's searching for clarity regarding what your purpose is, I want to challenge you to explore these three areas sometime this week. Do some self-discovery. Ask yourself these questions that we went through. Talk about them with your community group. 
Ask someone that you're close to, your, your roommate, your best friend, your spouse, to answer those questions for you and compare them with what you answered. It is hard for me to think of something that is more worth your time this week than sitting with these questions and beginning to figure out what your specific purpose is. God made you. He invented you. Like, he thought you up because he wanted you here. Don't you want to know why? Let's pray. God, you are such a good and loving father. You created us with purpose with intentionality, for a purpose. And God, I pray for everyone who can hear my voice right now that this week they would spend time, they would commit time to just getting quiet, getting with themselves, getting with you. That they, they would do a little bit of, of self-discovery, that they would ask themselves questions, they would talk with people about this, and they would begin to allow your Holy Spirit to reveal to them the specific purpose that you have for them right now, in this season of their life, as they head into 2020, that they would have clarity surrounding what it is that you have called them to, the part that you want them to play specifically in this bigger work that you're doing in the world, Lord. thank you that you are a God who plants passions in us that you can use. I thank you that you are a God who puts people in our proximity intentionally that we can impact. I thank you that you are a God who can even bring about good and beautiful purposes from our deep and darkest pains. God, we ask you to do those things now in our lives. We ask these things in the mighty name.